Deuteronomy 24, beginning at verse 10. <coughs> when you make your neighbour a loan of any sort, you shall not go into his house to collect his pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. And if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you, and it shall be righteous for you before the Lord your God. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hand. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourners, the fatherless and the widow. When you, when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall, not strip it for, for, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Amen. Good morning. Uh, these verses from Deuteronomy that, uh, that um, Alvin just read are part of the section that kind of explains the spirit of the law. You know, the basic law is you shall not steal the Eighth Commandment. This kind of explains the spirit of that. Uh, if you were to uh, practice sufficient harvesting and go back and get every single sheaf or every single olive, etc., then you would actually be stealing. You would be stealing the sheaf and the grape and the olive that belongs to the poor and the sojourner. And it's good to read this section of Deuteronomy as kind of an explanation of the spirit of the law. And we're going to study today the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is in Luke chapter 10, which is very much about the spirit of the law. So Luke chapter 10, and let's read uh, this famous story, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, we start at verse 25. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly, do this and you will live. 
But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbour? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This may be the most well-known story, the well-known of Jesus' stories. Uh, and, and the idea of a good Samaritan has entered into our language. We all know what a good Samaritan is. Uh, Samaritan House Geelong is an institution that provides homeless that provides homeless men with uh, dwell, uh, with with um, a place to stay for the night, with meals, with a warm welcome, that kind of thing. We understand what a good Samaritan is. On on uh, last night, I was out around six o'clock, not yet even night, and it was freezing cold. And I thought to myself. Boy, aren't I blessed to have a home to go to? Wouldn't it be terrible to be homeless tonight? So the idea of a good Samaritan is really very obvious to us, isn't it? But now, if we think about this parable a bit more, we might see some other meanings or we might see some other ways in which this parable both comforts us and deeply challenges us. It might be helpful to rename this parable. Maybe something like the parable of the merciful outsider. Let's, let's see how that fits as we go. So here's the situation. Verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So this man is a lawyer. That is, he is a, a, an expert in the Jewish law. You know, by this time in the history of Judaism, a, a huge body of law had been encrusted upon the Old Testament law of Moses. And there were all kinds of... Uh, it was hugely detailed and it needed someone like this to navigate through the details of this law. This man stood up to put him to the test He's not really seeking information. He's seeking defamation. He wants to make sure that... He wants to try to trap Jesus 
to see if he'll say something false, something that can be held against him. Jesus answers him on his own terms. What is written in the law? How do you read it? If anyone knows what's written in the law, this legal expert will know. And he responds correctly. Verse 25, uh, 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and your neighbour as yourself. This is a standard answer. It is found in the writings of Judaism around the time of Jesus. We know that Jesus agreed with it. Some, on some occasions, Jesus used this very summary as a summary of the law. He used it himself. It summarizes the law of the Moses beautifully. It quotes from two particular texts in, in the law of Moses. And so Jesus agreed with the lawyer and he commends the lawyer. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Why does Jesus give such a strange answer? Why doesn't he say, accept me as your personal saviour and you will live? Why does he give this answer? Does Jesus mean that by putting these two principles into action so the lawyer can save himself? Uh, is salvation possible just by doing good things? That's not what Jesus means. Jesus is taking up the presuppositions of the lawyer and he's going to show him that those presuppositions are false. The lawyer had asked, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, what should he do? Well, he should obey these two principles perfectly. But think about how radical these principles are. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. Tim Keller expresses what these laws mean in this way. First, the law requires a heart and mind totally submitted to and absorbed in God alone. Second, it requires that we must meet the needs of others with all the speed, the eagerness, the energy and the joy with which we meet our own needs. Jesus is trying to demonstrate that if the lawyer took these principles seriously, if he really lived the kind of life or if he really thought that he could live the kind of life that these principles require, he would realise that in fact he is powerless to fulfil these principles. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He can never do enough. But this lawyer is not yet on the same page as Jesus. He's frustrated. 
He's a lawyer, a, a student of Jewish law. He is accustomed to digging deep into things, to defining the law to the nth degree, to specifying exactly what the implications of every single little rule really are. And the lawyer has stated that the kind of general principle of the law and the standard summary, and Jesus agrees, great summary, go and do likewise, do likewise and you will live. But that's not enough. Any old teacher can, can say that. How's Jesus any different from anybody else? What the lawyer wants is a specification of what the standard summary means. Give me some detail, Jesus. Don't just quote general principles. The lawyer asks for further specification. Verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbour? He asks Jesus to be specific. Of course I know that I must love my neighbour as myself. That's the general principle. But what does that actually mean? Who is my neighbour? Is it just the family next door? Is it, is it more than that? Does it extend more widely than just my physical neighbour? What are, what are the exact legal limits of my duty here? How far do I have to go? How much do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Is that a question you ask? Do you ask yourself, what do I need to do to be saved? How far do I need to go? At what point will what I've done be enough? And how will I know? How will I ever know whether I've done enough? Well, Jesus answers this question about who is my neighbour with this parable of the merciful outsider. And, and just understand what he's doing here. He is, he is explaining the second great principle of the law. The second great principle is love your neighbour as yourself. And as Jesus tells the story, he is explaining that second great principle. What does it mean to love your neighbour as yourself. And he's showing that the essence of the righteousness that God requires of us in our relationship with other people is that we is that we find as much joy in meeting the needs of others as we find meeting our own needs. A man is travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem is 900 metres above sea level, up in the mountains of Israel. Jericho is 300 metres below sea level in the Rift Valley, the lowest city in the world. So 1,200 metres gap. It's only 27 kilometres from Jerusalem to Jericho, so it's a very steep road. And it's a dangerous road. In Jesus' day, there were thugs and robbers who, who, uh, who 
what's the word, haunted, I was going to say inhabited, but they haunted that road uh, and, you know, seeking out people that they could rob and devour, so to speak. And the man is attacked and left for dead. This is just exactly the kind of a story that the people of Jesus' day understand. And two religious Jews, a priest and a Levite, are doing the same trip from Jerusalem to Jericho and they quickly pass by on the other side. So how do you respond to that? I think that we, we imagine that what we're supposed to do is be horrified. How can, how can human beings be so un, unmerciful to each other? How can they just go ahead and leave people on the side of the road like that? How hard and cruel can human beings become? I think that's the way that we think we're supposed to react. But what we need to realise is that in hearing Jesus' story, many of the people listening, and certainly the lawyer, would have applauded what the priest and the Levite do. They're doing the right thing. The lawyer would have approved of the priests and the Levites' actions in leaving the man for dead. Just, just put yourself in the priest's position. He's travelling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. In, and in the story, it seems fairly likely that he's been up in Jerusalem, or maybe we can imagine that he's been up in Jerusalem for the two weeks of his service in the temple, ritual service in the temple. And because most priests actually lived in Jericho rather than Jerusalem, much nicer climate, um, he was travelling down to where most of the priests lived. Actually, as an upper-class person, he's probably sitting on a donkey travelling down to Jericho. Now he comes across this semi-naked body on the side of the road. Let's put ourselves in his shoes. Oh dear, someone's been attacked. Ah, what should I do? Well, well, okay. What does the law say? Well, for a start, I don't know if this man's a Jew or a Gentile. And I, I, I just can't tell, so let me call out. I say, are you okay? He's not answering. I don't know if he's a Jew or a Gentile. He's, he seems to be unconscious. And I can't help a Gentile. God hates Gentiles. He hates sinners. I can't help him. Well, maybe he's dead. Well, that, that, that's the final straw. He's dead. Maybe he's dead. And if I, as a priest, approach him, if I come within four cubits of him to see if he's dead or not, I will be defiled. And I'll have to go back to Jerusalem, not, not home to Jericho where I want to go. I have to go back to Jerusalem. I have to stand at the east gate of the temple for a week, going through the purification ritual again. I'll have to tear my robes. Oh, it's too humiliating. And he goes past. And the Levite's not in any better position. He, as a Levite, he can't touch the body either. He can't approach the body either. The 
So as Jesus tells the story, the, many of his hearers, and certainly the lawyer who, who is an expert in the law, who loves the law, who knows all the fine details, he approves of what the Levite and the priest do. Both the priest and the Levite were required by the law of Judaism. Notice I didn't say by the law of Moses, rather by the law of Judaism as as it had been developed over centuries to do exactly as these two guys did. But now comes the shocking twist in the story. Here comes a Samaritan. And because this language has entered our language, we, we love Samaritans. But that was not the case for Jews. They hated Samaritans. Samaritans were half-caste people. They, maybe they had a bit of Judaism, maybe they had a bit of Jewish blood, but they were mostly Gentile blood. They were a mixture. Uh, a Samaritan was not worthy to share the same space as a Jew. Now, here comes a hated Samaritan. And the Samaritan helps the injured man. The ESV says he had compassion. Literally it says, and he's, he felt compassion in his bowels. Sort of meaning, and his heart went out to him. He binds up the man's wounds, takes him down to the inn at Jericho on his own animal, pays for his accommodation and offers to pay more if necessary. How can he do that? In the logic of the story, he can do it because he is a Samaritan, because he is not bound up in the legalism of Judaism. He's not bound by the ethical, theological system that binds the priest and the Levite. The insiders, the priest and the Levites, can do nothing but an outsider, a hated outsider who's not bound by that, can do something and dramatically he can fulfill the spirit of the law. He can fulfill the command to love your neighbour as yourself. <laughs> the lawyer is absolutely on the rack. I mean, he represents the law. He, would have, he approves of what the, what the priest and the Levite did. Jesus chooses a Samaritan in the story, someone who can obey the law, whereas a, a religious Jew, a, a ritual, ritualistic a religious Jew, the priest or a Levite, cannot and so Jesus' question, it must have been a shocking question. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among robbers? What a question. There is only one possible answer, isn't there? The one who showed him mercy. Jesus says to the lawyer, 
you go and do likewise. The lawyer had begun by asking, what will I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you go and do likewise. The lawyer had asked about the limits of the law, what he must do. And the answer, there are no limits. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. In fact, who is the man who is saved in the story? It's the man who can do nothing. The man who is the, 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 the injured person on, on the road, the poor, helpless victim. He can do nothing for himself and he is the one who's saved. And he's saved by a Samaritan, by a hated outsider, the merciful outsider. The lawyer hated that Samaritan in the story. He is someone outside of his system of law-keeping, But it's just a story, it's a parable. And who made up the story? Well, Jesus Christ, the one whom the lawyer thinks he should hate as well. The merciful outsider in the story is standing right there before him. Jesus Christ is the merciful outsider. He worked outside the system of law to bind up wounds to provide shelter, to save his neighbours. It's a brilliant story, isn't it? And this brilliant story does two things. One is supremely comforting and one is supremely challenging. Jesus teaches very clearly that you cannot save yourself. Praise God. You don't have to save yourself. Jesus, the hated outsider who was killed because he didn't buckle under the system of law, is the merciful outsider. He is the one who acts in mercy and love and compassion towards the broken and the needy. You can't ever justify yourself before God, but Jesus saves all who entrust themselves to him. That's the comfort. That's the supreme comfort of this story. But the story also has a supreme challenge. Jesus lays out the essence of the righteousness that God requires of us in our relationship with other people when we are saved. The parable of the Good Samaritan explains this second major principle, love your neighbour as yourself. It defines neighbours as anyone who is in need. Jesus shows us what God requires in our relationship with others. He requires mercy. Jesus' final devastating question was, which of these three do you think was proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer replies correctly, the one who showed him mercy. What does it mean to be a neighbour? It means to show mercy. Who is my neighbour? Anyone who requires mercy. What is mercy? It is kindness expressed for someone who is in need. 
if I don't show mercy, am I a Christian? That's exactly the question that John asks in his first letter. He says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. James has a very similar thing to say. He says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and out in outside in Geelong on Saturday night and one of you says to them go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body what good is that? So So faith by itself if it does not have works is dead. You see, mercy this thing that God requires is a test of the heart. Have you received mercy from God? Has he been kind to you? in your greatest need, then you will show mercy to others who are in need. If there is no mercy in your heart, are you a Christian at all? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is my treasure what I value most mainly in my own self-advancement or is it in mercy to others? Jesus challenges me so profoundly in this, in this story. I, 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 I am, I'm preaching to myself as much as to anyone. I'm, I'm very... How am I doing at showing mercy? Do I meet the needs of others with all the speed, eagerness, energy and joy as I meet my own needs? Do you feel that challenge as well? Jesus is so merciful. See his gracious invitation at the end. He says to the lawyer, you go. And do likewise. He is inviting the lawyer. He's inviting us to go out and live a new kind of life. A journey of showing mercy to others. Nothing I can do can save me. To think that I can save myself is to be trapped in this prison. This prison of legalism. The prison that had captured the lawyer. But Jesus has burst open the bars of that prison. He did that for the lawyer and he invited the lawyer to go out and live a new life. And he has burst open that prison for you and for me. He has shown us mercy in our deepest needs. Now having received mercy, he calls us to show mercy to others. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Let's pray, shall we?
Our gracious Father in heaven, by your mercy alone can we be saved. Your kindness, your love, your grace to us in Jesus Christ sets us apart as your people. The bars of the prison have been burst open by your mercy to us. Help us in turn to show mercy to to our neighbours, to people in need. Whether those neighbours be next door or international. Thank you that the message of the gospel is a ministry of life to the whole person. May we be characterised by the love that demonstrates and expresses your love towards people who are in need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.